When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, I, I, I stood here, um, I believe it was after the Bears game, and I felt there were a lot of questions about our lack of effectiveness. And I said, honestly, it, it boils down to we've missed a couple of shots in our play-action game. And I said, if we had hit those, I think we'd be feeling a lot differently. It's, it's not a litany of issues. Suddenly, we hit a couple shots in our play-action game, and it felt a lot better. So to say, what would you attribute it to? I would attribute it to the play-action hits that we've had. You know, again, the explosive runs were there from the beginning. So, yeah, you could say explosive runs, but that's been there, I think. I think we've hit some screens, but I think we've also done that throughout. So, you know, it's it's just been a couple plays here or there that are big, and they end up kind of weighing the, the statistics a certain direction. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins there, Matthew Collar, Purple Daily, Sage Rosenfels back with me after spending a few days in Cabo. Sage, did you grind tape in Cabo? Uh, no, I grinded. I grinded. I, I ground. Grounded? You I ground. ground. This morning when I woke up, I got in at 1 o'clock last night, set my alarm so I'd get up, and I watched the game twice, actually. I watched wow. it uh, fully through, and then I, and I sort of went back a second time and and I started thinking about, you know, we've, we always have this conversation about uh, what type of passes uh, Kirk Cousins throws, you know, what type of are called, I should say, in the, you know, in the game plan. And, and this was a great mix uh, by Kevin Stefanski and I think really, you know, maximized Kirk's strengths and, and things are sort of hitting on, on all cylinders. And, uh, and it obviously it was a, it's a fantastic football game and, and the best game that the Vikings have played this year, in my opinion. Okay. Let me run a few thoughts by you and you tell me if you saw and felt the same way about this game. I thought that getting Kirk a couple of quick throws early really helped his confidence that there were times where the Eagles were playing off coverage and they would just throw a little five or six yard pass or a little quick screen to Thielen or Diggs. And then there was the third down throw that was a tight window throw, and it was the one that he usually doesn't make where Thielen wasn't even out of his break yet, but he threw it right on time. It was perfect. And from the very get-go, Cousins had a different confidence about him in that game than we saw in Chicago. It was complete night and day. And I guess I, I want to know if you think that that's sort of the model to get him confidence early in games, because it seems to me, Sage, that you can usually tell with Cousins where 
where it's going to go based on how he comes out right out of the gate, whether he has success or not right away, might dictate his confidence throughout the game. Yeah, and, and you know, starting off right out of the gate, they did two things. They did a quick game uh, with Kirk, as you know, make an easy decision, and and you know, the ball hits your hands. If it's too high, you're probably going to work inside. And if it's single safety, you worked outside, and it was single safety, and he had Stephon Diggs. So that sort of two birds with one stone, right there. Quick pass, get the ball out of uh, Cousins' hands, and out off to Diggs. We want to get him the ball a lot in the game. And then, they boom, they come back with a reverse to Diggs. I mean, obviously there was a lot of thought process and let's get Stefan the ball. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I think they start off with some you know, easy completions. But he had a different sense of urgency, you know, a little different mm-hmm. confidence it felt like about with Kirk Cousins this week. I mean, it really felt like he – you know, came into the game knowing they sort of had the advantage that there was the secondary that was near the bottom of the league in a lot of statistical categories uh, that they were, were probably going to have to struggle to run the football. They were they were giving up only sixty three yards the game with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, against the run, and that you know he thought this was a game that uh, he could take advantage of this defense, and he did. And so he came out uh, with, again, like a sense of urgency, a sense of confidence about him, and they got a lot of uh, uh, easy completions early. And then, actually, as the game went on, that's when they really started to hit some of these play actions. There was not much for play action early in this ball game, as you broke down each individual throw, and then you go back and go, okay, they had so many you know deep play actions and and, and and screens and things like that. Those deep play actions came more in the you know second quarter, third quarter uh, when they had run the ball a little bit, and that's when they really took their shots. and And uh, it, it was a beautiful game plan. And, and again, you know, I, th- I think I think Kirk Cousins is best game of the year. I also thought that they took advantage perfectly. Of- of what the Eagles were trying to do on defense. It was clear to me from going back and reviewing the film that the Eagles said, we are going to put in our base package and we're going to shut down Delvin Cook. We're not going to let them beat us with Delvin Cook. And they didn't beat them with Delvin Cook. They beat them with a ton of explosive plays through play action. But we remember the bombs that were thrown, and those are both great plays by the Vikings, of course. But when I looked at some other plays, Sage, it kind of amazed me how the Eagles continued to let the same thing beat them over and over, where the Vikings would line up two tight ends or a tight end to fullback, and they would have Rudolph block. He actually blocked a lot in this game, and then have Ham block and and run play action, and the linebackers were just jumping up, and they were putting eight men in the box almost every Every single one of these plays and Malcolm Jenkins up in the box biting every single time on these play actions. And there were receivers running wide open and credit to Kirk Cousins. He was able to make the throws. Well, it was the Belichickian, you know, style of defense in that, you know, we're going to stop what they do best. And the Vikings so far this season, what they've done best is run the football with Dalvin Cook. And so they were dead set on stopping that and make Kirk Cousins beat them. And they did. They had, you know, too many guys in the box. They didn't play with deep safeties very often. Their safeties were aggressive on the crossing routes and allowed for these post routes to be open. And uh, the, the interesting thing is the first real shot they took in the game, you know, looking back, they missed. They missed a 50 yard, about a 50 yard yep. touchdown pass to uh, Stefan Diggs. And then after that, they hit another one not long after. And, and it's, it's amazing when you go back. And we've talked about it uh, for really since Gary Kubiak was hired, 
uh, to be an offensive consultant, but sort of a, I almost look as maybe a, a mentor to, to Kevin Stefanski, who's a young coordinator. Uh, but we, we talked about there was going to be this outside and inside zone scheme and then the play action and the bootlegs that go off it. And you go back at these play action, you have that missed, you know, probably a 50-yard touchdown pass. Then you got about a 15-yarder, a 15-yarder, uh, a touchdown, uh, and then another one for 30. I mean, those are the play action calls in the game. And then the bootleg calls in the game were a 50-yard touchdown pass where uh, where the Philadelphia Eagle defender thought he was in some sort of cover two and had the flat and obviously had no safety help over the top, hit him wide open for a touchdown. And then it's a 13-yarder, an incomplete, a 13-yarder, and a 15-yarder. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And that's how you get your know, Kirk Cousins at 115 uh, yards per uh, yards per attempt. That's pretty. Uh, that's 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 ex- that's not that's outstanding. That's like you just don't see those types of numbers. When you and I left Chicago, we walked out saying, "You know how many opportunities he had down the field that Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak drew up that he just wasn't." able to get the ball to his guy, and a lot of that was because of the pressure, and then there was the seeing ghosts element of it for Kirk Cousins. But this was almost like the same game plan, or at least similar, a lot of the similar concepts with a team that was focused on shutting down Delvin Cook, only this time they were able to pass protect. And that outstanding pass protect really surprised me, Sage. I mean, with, with the defensive line and the talent that the Eagles were running out there, I was amazed at how well they did in pass protection, especially Rashad Hill comes in off the bench, doesn't allow a single pressure, but also they were able to use Rudolph and Irv Smith. And Mike Zimmer talked about today Rudolph being a better blocker than he has been in the past this year. I mean, there have been times where just sort of made fun of him for his blocking. Like, okay, he's a pass-catching tight end. They used him a lot as a blocker. They used Irv Smith as a blocker. And, and they were able to use seven guys in protection a lot of times, seven against three or four, because the play actions were bringing in the linebackers so much that, that it was almost like, okay, we're taking care of the linebackers with the play fake, and we could just focus on blocking four or blocking five. It, it was really impressive even, even from that aspect of it, too. Well, Kirk Cousins threw nine, 29 passes in this ballgame. He was 22 of 29 for 333. Of those 29 passes, I counted up nine passes that were just straight drop back, where whether he's in set, under center or whether he's in shotgun, he's catching the ball, there's no fake. The tight ends are out, the receivers are out, the running backs are maybe chipping, but they're out. There's no sort of fake or, or, of any sort. So it wasn't a screen or, or a three-step drop or or anything like that. There was nine out of the 29. So less than a third where they have to just go, okay, me versus the three technique if I'm the right guard right, or me right. versus a, a good pass rushing. That I love that because those are the hardest ones. Those are where you're sort of everyone's on an island in a lot of ways. The tackles are on islands, and a lot of times a guard ends up being on an island because the center is maybe helping out the other guard. And so you have a lot of times three one-on-ones, much less if there's some sort of blitz. And so those are those are the most challenging plays for an offensive line, and they played outstanding in this ball game. I did I count up only one sack, uh, I believe, yep, and it was yep, and it sack. wasn't a drop back pass uh, in this game. But you know the, the the screens, I saw three three screens, and and uh, but so many were either a what, what a deep play action where Rudy uh, is blocking and he's in on it, uh, and also obviously the running back after the fake is blocking. You have a whole bunch of those. You've also got what I call seven-man protection, uh, where it looks like sort of a draw with the fullback in the game, and maybe the tight end's getting out, but it's still it's, it's good, solid protection. 
and uh, just staying away from those just pure drop-back passes out of shotgun uh, because that just, I think it sort of maximizes the, it's, it's hard. It's just really hard to play offensive line in this league uh, and, and, and drop-back pass you know, 20, 25 times a game. And I thought that was a, a great, great mix, a great job by Kevin Stefanski, and obviously great job by the offensive line and Kirk Cousins executing that game plan. Okay, so here's the big question, though, is when I watch it back, I look at the Eagles' defense, and I say a lot of, what are you doing? Now, I know that uh, they're playing two backup corners, and they got smoked, but there's also a really smart defensive coordinator over there in Jim Schwartz who seemed to have the exact wrong game plan and not change it in the second half of that game at all. They were still biting on the same play-action looks. They were still making the same kind of mistakes. There were a lot of players who were in zone coverage not covering anyone, so there wasn't a change up there. It seemed like they decided, we're going to play it this way, and that's what we're sticking with. We're going to make Cousins beat us, which is, to me, a really foolish approach because you're not talking about just Kirk Cousins beating you. You're talking about Thielen and Diggs beating you and can confirm from reporting on the team since 2016, they beat a lot of people. If you play play one safety, those guys will eat you alive. They they have, but I think the way... Uh, Schwartz, the defense coordinator, was looking at it uh, was again, you know, sort of the Belichick view. We're going to stop the run. We're going to make this quarterback, uh, you know, beat us. And so far that that you know, so far this season, Kirk has not really made teams pay uh, by overly being overly aggressive against the run. And then the Eagles get behind by a couple touchdowns. And of course, you think the Vikings are going to sort of slow play it and and hand the ball off more and and, and load up Dalvin Cook and Madison for more runs. And so I think their their safeties almost got more aggressive. Uh, you know, there in this in this you know late second quarter, second half, because they figure the Vikings are probably just going to sort of roll this thing into the second half and try to slow down the game and, and use a lot of clock. And they became, as I said, even more aggressive and left those corners who are who are not good. Th- their corners are the weakness of that football team. Oh yeah, and uh, and obviously Thielen uh, and Diggs just had an unbelievable day against those two guys. And so it was um, that that was that was the perfect sort of style of a, a game plan. And I and I don't. I, I don't know what Schwartz does on the other end. Do you play your safeties deep and try to stop the pass? I I, I think that uh, uh, you know Cook and Madison might run for another hundred yards yeah. if he plays yeah. that way, um, because there were still some big holes. Uh, there were still some nice holes and nice runs in this in this game, and they did run for over 120 yards, and that's tr- that's basically twice as much as what the Eagles have been given up uh, through the first five games of the season. I think if I were designing a defensive game plan against this offense, knowing what I've seen going back to training camp in the first number of weeks this season, I would lean much more toward what the Packers did, play my nickel package all the time, and try to blow up bootleg plays and look for turnovers and things like that against this team, especially with two backup corners. I don't understand leaving two backup corners alone on two of the best receivers in the NFL. And and I know that Delvin Cook can absolutely beat you on his own. He's shown that. He can run for 75 yards at any time. But if I'm saying which one of these things is more likely to get me beat for 60-yard, 50-yard passes and things like that... I mean, it's obviously Thielen and Diggs are, are going to be the chunk plays. And but I they would... haven't, but we haven't hit those in the past, right? Yeah, I think right, that was right. a thing. But it's or, not like Kirk Cousins or... is new, though. This isn't, no, this no, isn't but, a but... young quarterback. This is a guy who's done it for years and been able to hit those throws. He's one he of the has, better deep he, passers in the league. He hadn't hit him a ton this year or pressure either. He had missed 
or pressure had gotten to him, uh, and they do have a, a good pass rush in, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that classic phrase, was it, you know, take from Peter to pay Paul? Have sure, you heard that yeah. that phrase before, yeah. right? It's sort of one of those, like, well, you either want to stop the pass or stop the run because it's sort of hard to do both. And obviously they sort of sold out the stop the run, in particular when they're behind by – you know, two or three scores there, you sort of have to do that and, and really you really maximize their weakness, which are those two corners who just got picked on all day. You know, that, that the bootleg touchdown to um, to Stephon Diggs that was perfectly thrown, that was a broken play. Uh, on that play, uh, if, if it's a cover two look where the corner pl- it plays up, you know, sort of in that five to seven yard range mm-hmm. and there's a safety over top, what Stefan Diggs is supposed to do is sort of settle in that hole. We call that the honey hole. Uh, it's sort of about 15 yards deep. It's in between the safety, but it's over the corner. Yeah. And if the corner sinks, you throw it to the guy in the flat. If the corner comes up to the flat, you throw it over his head. That's not supposed to be a go route. The problem is the corner played it like cover two, but there is no safety. No safety. Behind yes. Yeah. And so, so, so Diggs just stick, stuck up his hand and said, "Hey, I'm going deep." And and Kirk uh, saw that adjustment. And, and made an absolutely perfect throw, and and and, uh, and that was an easy touchdown. So um, obviously a, a, a very very poorly played game by the Eagles. I was expecting much more from them offensively, as I was expecting more, uh, and, and defensively, I was definitely expecting more. And uh, and they, they did not have their best game on Sunday. Okay, answer this then, because we've gone over all the things they did right, and we should also say, and and I did earlier, but your I'd like your reaction to this too. I thought Cousins himself was fantastic like this is the best he can be where it was not only just great play designs and he made throws and it wasn't only a couple of bombs where he launched it up into the hands of a receiver it was consistent accuracy it was throwing on time it was like you said confidence that he showed scrambling away from zach brown once of all people the, the throw to the bc yeah that was that that's the one caught, i'm talking about that, that on was the a, overload blitz right yeah, yeah. That, that i it was it was a i believe it was a play action mm-hmm. and uh, they blitz the guy that usually is in coverage, and and it's one of those deals where uh, sometimes there's a side adjust, but no one saw it, and and the guy comes blocked, uh, uh, unblocked, and he rolls out to the right and makes an accurate throw on the run. Like wow, that was a great play. He also on the interception that hit Diggs right in the face. Uh, that was also a <laughs> it was a great play. throw. That was, that was a, a great, great throw. throw. I mean, you know, imagine you know add another one. I mean, what what's his QB rating if if, if uh, Diggs catches that and it's yeah. not intercepted? It by might Zendejo. be it might actually be perfect. Honestly. He might have had a one fifty eight rating. I mean, he yeah. had a what, what, what am I looking at a one thirty eight rating with an interception that wasn't his fault. Uh, I, I'm fairly sure. Uh, and there's been a couple, like last year, there were a couple of shootouts, that, that game in Los Angeles. I don't know if it was that a Monday night game or a Sunday night game. Uh, was that, that was a Thursday, a Thursday night game. It's a national game. And Cousins played great in that game. It was, you know, high-scoring shootout. This was the best game I think Kirk Cousins has played as a Minnesota Viking. And if he plays this way, this team will be, and the rest of the team plays the way they play, the defense, the running game, the receivers, uh, the tight, the whole thing. This is why the Vikings went out and got him, because this is sort of the high-end potential of he played fantastic in this game, uh, took care of the football. There weren't any stupid mistakes. And, again, the only interception was uh, was really a great play by him. And uh, so if, if, it, if Kirk plays like this, you know, watch out NFC. So here's a stat for you, and then you can answer the question of whether it's sustainable. 
Uh, Cousins has had in his career nine games. Uh, I'm sorry, ten. No, nine. Okay, I, I'm not going to count a game where he only threw ten passes. So nine games with a quarterback rating over 130. So you're just unbelievable that day. Nine times that's happened since becoming a full time starter in 2015. Three of them have happened this year: Philly, New York, and Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's the one I'm not counting. So two of them have happened this year in the last two weeks. Two of eight. You're saying yeah. at that point. Right? Uh, two of, yeah, nine. Nine of them. Sorry, my math got thrown off by that eight for ten against Atlanta, which I don't want to count. Um, but, I mean, it, is it just this offense is great for him? Is it those two defenses were terrible? Do we need to see more of it versus good defenses to believe that it could be consistent throughout this year? Like, What is your bigger picture takeaway from these last two weeks, two of his best games ever in his career? Well, I think when you get that run game going or, or teams are really concerned about the run, you have an advantage as a quarterback. You've got one-on-one coverage. You've got two of the best receivers in the league, in my opinion, the best one-two punch in the NFL who can take advantage of any corner out there who is a one-on-one. And uh, so, yeah, he's he, he was he – was, been dealing with a you know a good set of cards you know uh, uh you know after the uh after the cards are dealt he's already got a couple pairs uh you know, in the mix and now it's like what do you do with it the team's also had the lead which is always helps and i think that's really if we want to talk about like the the story of kirk cousins is what happens when they don't have the lead right you know when he's when he's not, he has not played either he has not played well or the defense has not played well or you know there was a fumble and you're down 21 to 10 at half that's where that's where that's about the only question left, right? He plays really well when he's not asked to do a ton. And this game, he just played a perfect ball game, really about as good as I think you can play. But the question is when he, when they're down and the, and they're and and team and their Vikings are not going to run the ball as much, and teams are not going to uh, leave their corners out to dry one on one against that one two punch at wide receiver with Diggs and Thielen. Then how does Kirk Cousins perform? And, and that's what we have not seen enough of yet. All right, when we come back. Penalties. I want you to tell me what it's like to be out on the field when the refs are screwing you over and uh, what Roger Goodell had to say about that today. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar, we continue to break down Vikings against the Eagles, their big win, what it means going forward here. We'll talk about uh, the Lions as well. And, of course, the Lions with just the some of the greatest journeyman quarterbacks that there ever were. So we will discuss uh, all of that coming up. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. But with those re- with those receivers, they can get down the field. Hawkinson's added another dimension to them as well. And, uh, you know, I think they're doing a nice job with their play actions. Um, and he's throwing a win- you know. So I'll give you a little stat, since you like the stats. 
He's number one in the league in throwing uh, attempted contested passes. Did you cut out my response? You could barely hear it. Oh, plus it gets really awkward at the end. Yeah. Oh, yes. I know what you mean. After my response yeah. to Zimmer, that was Zimmer answering a question of mine today. And after he said that, I I said, "See, Mike, I knew you loved analytics." <laughs> but you're right. It was they a good they didn't, ha- they didn't have a mic on me, so you probably couldn't hear it very well. But that was I was proud of my response there. I know that Zimmer does pay. Uh, a lot of attention to statistics and things like that, as every NFL coach should. Um, back here, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. We'll get to the Detroit game and, of course, our journeyman quarterback of the week. But, Sage, I want to know what it's like on the field when you know that the referees have just done something really terrible to you. Um, not that that would ever happen when you were a Minnesota Viking in any particular game that I can think of, that the referees maybe should have been calling some certain things for near homicides that were going on on the field. I just, I want to know what it's like, though, because those Detroit players the other night, the looks on their faces, the level of frustration on Trey Flowers' face when he was called twice for an illegal hands to the face, and neither of which looked like a penalty, I just cannot imagine what that must feel like in terms of the level of agitation at the referees when you are just getting screwed well the hard part is that the game doesn't really stop to where like you can have this conversation with them like the train's still running here there's a play clock there's a play coming up whatever they called we can't really go back and fix it yeah not that much be done the worst is when they just don't look at you like you're (laughs) the quarterback and you're like you know asking the referee like what happened here blah 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 and you're trying to make your argument when they don't look at you and you can tell they like look over another ref and then they blow a whistle or something to, like get the play clock going, like they're just not going to have it, you know. And it, it is frustrating. You're sort of helpless to it, and uh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's hard for them. I mean, I think the NFL is the hardest game to officiate. I'm, people might say it's the NBA or something, but it's so fast and it's it's a game of inches. Uh, to where you know a guy's knee might be a half of an inch off the ground and he fumbles and somehow they're supposed to see that they right. can't it's right. a guess yeah um, so they're going to be wrong a lot I mean they're going into this thing knowing they're only going to get eighty five percent on this test and yet we want a hundred percent so it's an impossibly hard job I don't know if you can make uh, you know it full time and it's going to improve the product all that much there's been that conversation for years is you know should the end up it's a what a 15 billion dollar annual business for the entire NFL yet we have really part-time employees you know Cleet Blakeman who is doing that game who lives in Omaha who I actually was supposed to play golf with this morning but that was canceled <laughs> um, he you know he he's for the most part stayed out of controversy over the course of his career but it caught up with him in, in that game and and uh, it's hard it's a hard, hard uh, uh, sport to to referee, and, and those guys are not going to be perfect. But I don't think making, you know, he's a lawyer here in Omaha. Uh, I don't think making him full-time is all of a sudden going to make him see, you know, that that play better. You know, I, right. I think that, uh, there's, I said, there's, there's the, each official is sort of designated to look at their three or four or five guys in their area, and that's what they're looking at. And they're just not going to be perfect because the game's too fast, and and uh, and they do the best job they can. So uh, I'm not I I criticizing officials is easy, 
being official is really, really hard. And so I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, sometimes they just screw things up, like that that pass interference game uh, with the Rams and the Saints last year, which I think the over the NFL way overstepped their whole boundaries of this whole challenge thing because it's like one has been one in like twenty five challenges so far this year of the pass interference thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it's a it's a very very hard spot for them to be in. And uh, I tell you what, you know who never gets calls? The backup quarterback. We, we, <laughs> we never get the roughing the passer calls, you know. So um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport to officiate. And I think those guys are doing their best. And, and we can sit and complain about them that they're, you know, sc- you know screwing the league or screwing the, the fan base and teams or whatever. But I promise you they're, they're doing the best that they can of what they're being told of how to call things. And, and, uh, and sometimes there's just going to be mistakes. And that's where my problem is. It isn't with the people who are out there doing it. Because for the most part, I don't know one from the other unless they're the guy that is, you know, unless it's Ed Hockley and the guy is jacked, then I might remember his name or if he has long explanations. But aside from that, it's just the referees, and I know that these guys are very talented at what they do, and they're not just you know jokers or whatever. They put a lot of effort into being good at this, but the NFL keeps adding things onto their back more and more and more and more. Points of emphasis now. So we have penalties going up by three or four per game across the league. We have the... the you know, reviews and things like that, but they don't want to overturn the reviews unless it's obvious. And then even when it is obvious, they don't want to overturn it. And it, it just seems like it's a constant, complete mess that starts with the NFL not giving these guys just a consistent set of rules to work with. Every year, it's got to be something new. You guys got to call this more often. You guys got to call that more often. And I think that makes their job really hard. And I also think, Sage, that a lot of the stuff that they've added onto these guys' plates has to do with player safety, that I'm not even sure it's making the game safer. I think it's just trying to look like you're making the game safer. Yeah, these guys are asked to do the impossible and uh, and call all these things. I've always said, I feel like only Americans really love football because there's a lot of rules, and I don't know why we love a lot of rules, but like <laughs> soccer has basically like two rules, you know, like don't use your hands and don't follow somebody in the box, or you know, that's pretty much it, it seems like. But, you know, football has... I mean, can you imagine coming from another country and trying to learn football as an oh, adult? Yeah. It would yeah. take you years to understand all, you know, wait, that guy flinched, and so they have to go back five yards? Like, this that's the strangest thing ever, you know? Uh, but there's so many rules in football, and that's why a lot of these officials, in particular the main official, the, the head referee, a lot of times they're lawyers or accountants. I mean, they deal with rules and, and laws and bylaws and all these things their entire life and how to interpret them and all these things and, and the wording and uh, it's uh, I, I cannot imagine, and it's a job that I don't want. I saw somewhere that like maybe players should be officials. That's not the answer to the whole thing, you know what I mean? Because we wouldn't we wouldn't remember all of them. I mean, I watch games and I feel like I follow the NFL pretty closely, and I'm still surprised by rules that occasionally come up that I don't know all the the details of how they walk off that distance or you know which one do they accept. I sometimes I'm I'm a little bit uh, and I've been around the NFL you know for the last uh, 20 years of my life basically so. It's it's very, very challenging. It's very, very frustrating. And I do think, I agree with you, I think the league tries to put all, you know, give them all this emphasis 
uh, which is which is making it harder for them, and I'm not sure if it's making the league any better. And uh, and you know that the, there are there is holding on every single play. The question is, you know, do they call it or do they not call it? And um, the toughest spot is that head referee spot. And that was Cleet Blakeman on Monday night. That's the Ed Hockley spot. You know, the guy who does the all the announcements. I feel like those guys get blamed for. I mean, they're they only make whether there's there six officials or seven officials on the field. So they're you know they're only they're only making some of the calls, but they sort of get the blame for everything because that's their crew, uh, and that is a very very tough spot to be in. Um, they are a lot better than those replacement refs. Yes, I mean, yes, they are. They had no clue for the NFL to save a few million bucks or whatever yeah. that was. That was uh, a tragedy, and that was my last preseason. That was my last preseason was oh. the the year that that was all going on, and what that get into about four or five weeks into yeah. the season. Yep. Uh, and maybe it was the Seattle Green Bay game that was just the the all time classic picture of a guy catching the ball in the end zone, and one guy has the incomplete <laughs> sign, the other guy has the touchdown sign, and both of them are in their like seventh NFL game of their entire lives, including the preseason. I mean, um, it, it, it's pretty amazing, and it, I think that, I think they do a really really good job, and they do their best, and it's obviously not going to be perfect, but but in a sport where every single play or a pass interference or a holding can have a significant impact on your team making the playoffs because the parity is so good the bad calls can be very very frustrating yeah, I think i'm sure they were extremely frustrating for the lions the other night that showed us just how bad it could be without the real professional refs in there that it could be a complete gong show where these guys don't have any idea what they're doing i was going to say with the idea of players being refs donovan McNabb didn't even know that there were ties so I mean, <laughs> Yeah, he didn't even know there were ties. He thought we just play the the overtime again. Or yeah, just play like on. Play I mean, on. how about how about the La- Laquan Treadwell catch the other night? I mean, his foot was right there, and it was right by the sideline, and uh, they made the right call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, there was—I don't even think there was an inch between his toe and the sidelines there. And the, the, imagine that. And we're seeing super slow motion. Okay, he was in bounds, but uh, it, it's—can you imagine that thing going full speed? And people. Have no idea. I, I always have heard like team doctors say this. You have no idea how big, fast, and t- and strong, and quick, and explosive the the game is until you're actually on the field. You know they're staying on the field during the games, and it's just amazing how fast everything goes. So uh, I think the officials do a pretty good job, all in all. Uh, let me transition to another thing that's sort of been uh, newsy, which is the Rams getting Jalen Ramsey. You know, Sage, that I was interested for the Vikings in trading for Jalen Ramsey because I feel like it's an all in year, and if you're going all in, then go all in. But they gave up a lot, and now I don't think they have a first round pick until 2022. Yet I. Two first rounders and like a fourth rounder yeah, or something like a lot, that. A lot, a lot to give up for sure. Yeah, uh, lot, I assume I they're going to sign him to a contract extension after that because you would think you would you would think that the contract would be done at the trade. Yeah, like I, I right. I I don't know. Not I, that I anything behind the first... scenes would ever happen with teams and agents. Sage, yeah, never yeah, ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you um, think there's there's basically a contract in place here for for an extension if that hasn't already been announced or whatever. But I don't know. Two first rounders it's a and lot. a fourth, fifth rounder, whatever it was. That's a lot. And I know Jalen Ramsey's really, really good, but man, that is a lot. And the back, the Vikings have, you know, done. I mean, that's Trey Wayne's and Xavier Rhodes, uh, you know, selected in the first yeah. round of yep. the draft. You know, or, and, and Mike Hughes. Uh, that's all those guys that were all first rounders. I mean, you could have two two good corners. Uh, you know, for for that price and much less the huge contract. So that's a lot to give up. I've never. Do you remember any time in history where a team 
went five straight years without a first-round draft pick. I think I saw that stat the other The Rams are going to go five straight years without a first-round. Basically, since Jared Goff's been drafted, they haven't used a first-rounder because they've traded them all away uh, to try to bolster up their roster. I do remember the Vikings trading a lot for Herschel Walker, but I don't think they went that long uh, without a first-round pick. And um, this this kind of reminds me of Ditka trading away his entire draft for Ricky Williams. Like, Mike, maybe that's a little much. You might need yeah. those players um, and doing it for a running back. Now, in this case, doing it for a corner who's one of the best makes a lot of sense. But here's where and, it's and they play and they play a ton of you know. Keep Talib's been hurt. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, they and I think he's a, out. Like for I the think he's out. And Marcus year. Peters, um, I didn't really like, and I think there's a lot of uh, sort of behind the scenes stuff there that the Rams weren't yeah. in love with, and, and I they traded him away because they traded him away. But the Chiefs had the same deal with Marcus Peters. They trade him. They trade him to the Rams or got rid of him. And everyone's like, "Man, he's a good player. Why are they getting rid of this guy?" I think there's a lot, sort of more than meets the eye in that situation. Uh, but they play in in that style of defense. In uh, uh, Coach Phillips, ton ton of man to man. You know, this is the, this is the type of defense where it's very similar to Zimmer. We're having cover corners who can run with receivers and, and truly play man to man, or at a or at a premium. It's like uh, you know when when I was the Vikings with the Tampa two defense that we had, having Jared Allen as pass rusher, key key to the whole thing, having a great pass rusher because over those those Tampa twos over the years, you got I think Dwight Freeney and Simeon Rice and and on and on and on. You always have to have a great pass rusher, uh, but in this style of defense, you have to have a great corner. And they went out and got a great corner in Jalen Ramsey, but they also gave up a lot. They sort of you know mortgaged their future to try to win now. Well, what makes this really interesting to me, Sage, is that you have two teams that I think are above everybody else in the NFC right now, which in my mind is the Saints and the 49ers. Now, I think Teddy's done a a marvelous job to come in and win four straight games, but he's had a lot of help. It's a great team there with the Saints, and when Drew Brees comes back, they're Super Bowl contenders all the way. Oh, Drew Brees isn't coming back. It's just Teddy's team for the rest of the year. Uh, yeah. You know, know that? No, no I, don't I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I think they'll Never let mind. the Brees come back. Now, if he doesn't play well right away, <laughs> quarterback controversy. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, think so. there's any quarterback controversy. I don't controversy. think it's ever going to I think this is, this is Brees, the day he wants to come back. I, I don't care if Teddy... Brings him to the championship game. I think right. it's Breeze's deal. That's the I, way it's going to be. Totally agree. And with him back there, they're the strongest team in the NFC in my mind. And the 49ers are right there, too. Kyle Shanahan, your guy, is doing great. And then there's kind of the second tier. And the Vikings and the Packers and the Seahawks, the Bears are in this second tier as well. Probably the Eagles if they decide they want to play defense for the rest of the season. And the Rams. And... A lot of these teams could be fighting for wild card spots, so this move ultimately could impact the Vikings if Jalen Ramsey makes a huge impact for the Rams right away, and the Vikings can't win the NFC North. Yeah, yeah, the Rams are going to be right in that mix, and and you know they're only three and three, but I think this really helps their their chances. And obviously, again, you know, Talib has been out, and I, I do see the Seahawks. They're five and one. I see them as one of those maybe top contenders, but that's why that game this weekend with the Eagles was so important because I saw them as another team that's going to be fighting for, you know, that six, five, four, three playoff spot. There's going to be a couple of premier teams at the end of the season. And then there's, then there's going to be this mix of basically like three through nine. And it's, you know, who is that, you know, six, five, four and three. And, and obviously the Vikings with a huge win the other day, not only gives them a win, but gives uh, one of their real competitors for that playoff spot, uh, a big loss. 
All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. I want you to tell me what you think of this Lions defense because they looked pretty good the other night but gave up some big plays, which could work for the Vikings. And then our journeyman quarterback of the week, and uh, we got a couple of gems for you. So we will do that when we return. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Time for the Score North Download. Jonathan here with this hour's download brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. You can join Dan Terrar, Callum Williams, Kendra D. St. Aubin, Jamie Watson, and myself this Sunday for Minnesota United playoff action as they host the LA Galaxy in the first round of the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs from Allianz Field. Pre-game at 7 p.m. with kick at 7.30 on Score North on AM1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. And we here at Score North are looking to send you to the game. All you need to do is have the Score North mobile app be registered and entered for your chance. And you can enter for your chance to win a pair of tickets to this Sunday's game through the listener rewards. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. It was helpful to get a rhythm going these last couple weeks. I think that uh, when the season starts, you're kind of learning what you are and what works well, and you're figuring that out early in the year. And I think it was a good confidence boost the last couple weeks to have games where we felt like we found a little bit of an identity in addition to our run game, which we saw early in the year. So hopefully we can keep that going. But, you know, you start from zero every week and you got to build it up and you never know what, what the game's going to call for or what you're going to be able to do well or what they're going to take away. And uh, we have to be able to respond based on um, what we gather early in the game. Kirk Cousins there talking today out of TCO Performance Center. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels for one more segment. Then we will get a Zolgad in our lives. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus will be joining as well in the next hour to discuss Kirk Cousins' emergence over the last couple of weeks. Um, tell me, Sage, Matt Patricia and his defense. Um, we've talked a lot about how Bill Belichick... Um, Coaches don't often go places and have a whole heck of a lot of success. And Patricia last year certainly came across as one of those guys that wasn't going to because all of his players hated him. Um, but this year, this is just has come across as a different Lions team. They deserved to win the other day. They put up a hell of a fight against the Kansas City Chiefs and lost by four points a couple of weeks ago. And it seems like it's just a, a, a squad that we should take a lot more seriously than we usually do with the Lions and with former Belichick coaches. Yeah, I, this is an interesting football team, and it, it's funny you say that. It, I think a lot of these Belichick assistants, uh, whether it's O'Brien, who originally when he went to Houston, or uh, I can't think of the, the, who is the guy who went to Cleveland for a bit, um, uh, uh, Romeo Cornell. I think a lot of times they come in with that same sort of attitude that Belichick has. The problem is that Belichick has won so much, he can sort of get away with it, and the players just automatically respect him, and you really can't do much about it. But when somebody comes in who's never been a head coach before and probably treats players maybe the same way, players don't like that. It's right. sort of like, you know, you haven't quite earned that yet, you know, to, to be able to, to, to sort of coach me that way. Um, and he hasn't had a ton of success defensively. They're one of the worst in the league, not only against the run, but also against the pass. That has been a weakness, you know, of this team. And, uh, but they are playing, you know, 
oddly good football. I think they're playing good football. They're, they're only 2-2-1. Two, two and one. Obviously, the tie at the beginning of the year with Arizona, where Arizona came back and somehow made it a tie. But, you know, the, the last two weeks, uh, uh, you know, against Green Bay, at Green Bay, just losing by a point. And then, obviously, Kansas City, one of the best teams in the AFC, uh, playing them right down to the wire and only losing by four points. Those are two. They, 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 this team's going to have some confidence coming to this game. You usually don't say that when a team is – all, you know, has lost their last two football games, but their losses where you, you sort of know, you know, you don't have moral victories in the NFL, but you do have those victories. You go, we're a good football team. The ball just has to bounce the other way, or we have to go make that one or two plays of the game that'll make the difference. And so I think they're going to come in uh, with the Vikings this week and, and have some confidence and should be a heck of a ball game. Again, another one of those teams that, you know, we'll see, but this team could be in that mix as well if, if the ball bounces their way a few times and, and it, you know, goes the other way for, uh, for teams like the you know the Chicago Bears or the Vikings. Or maybe the referees count the number of Packers on the field, and when there's 13, they throw a flag. Uh, they could also uh, do that. I mean, they were that close to winning that game, very close to winning the game against Kansas City, and I think that you should take them much more seriously than last year, kind of almost the same way in the Jim Caldwell era where they were largely legit and had some great battles with the Vikings. I, I think this one should be looked at, even though they're last in the division, as a very good test of having to go to Detroit. Yeah, they have a 500 record, and uh, it said that they've got a good quarterback. I mean, I, I've always liked Matthew Stafford. It's interesting as you go through, you know, if you just go up to Wikipedia, Detroit Lions quarterbacks, and you go through this <laughs> list, and there's all it's these. Marvelous. We, of course, we, we both do it when we do this sort of quarterbacks of the week, you know, journeyman quarterback of the week thing. But what's interesting is that you see all these quarterbacks. But what you see over the since 2011 is one quarterback. Yep. All right, and that's Matthew Stafford. And in 2011, he was drafted. Before that, they had three quarterbacks start. Before that, they had three quarterbacks start. Before that, they had three quarterbacks start. Before that, they had John Kitten to start for two seasons. But since you know that that's very impressive to not miss any starts. And he's a guy that can when you're behind, he can bring you back. Uh, I, I I do look at Stafford as like, like a top ten quarterback in the mm-hmm. league, and if you got a top ten guy, you can beat anybody. And uh, obviously, hasn't fared that great against the Vikings defense. Not a lot of quarterbacks have, uh, but you never know. And so the, the Vikings got to play really good football if they're going to if they want to win this game this weekend. All right, let's do our journeyman quarterback of the week. I am going to select, and it might be a little bit too obvious, but his Wikipedia convinced me, Scott Mitchell. And uh, Scott Mitchell is one of my favorite journeyman quarterbacks because he had this one crazy great year with an unbelievable offense that ran 11 personnel all the time, which wasn't really done then, and smoked other teams who had three linebackers in because it was 1995. He had this unreal year where he threw for 32 touchdowns, took them to 10-6, and six, completely melted down the playoffs because he was Scott Mitchell. His teammate, Lomas Brown, admitted to once letting someone sack him on purpose because he didn't like him very much and wanted the backup to be in. Other teams gave him shots. He was brutal, but he had that one crazy good year, which is sort of typical of a journeyman. But here's why I really loved its age, is I started to scroll down on his wiki, and under personal life, he was a contestant on season 16 of The Biggest Loser and ah. uh, was eliminated from, quote, Comeback Canyon, um, losing his final, I don't know, he lost to somebody. Anyway, so he uh, was apparently 366 pounds and then went on that show in 2014. And I love the fact that he was on The Biggest Loser. 
Well, a couple things uh, with uh, with Mitch Scott Mitchell is that I believe in his best season. I believe Mark Tressman was his coordinator, the former Bears head coach. I believe that was his coordinator, and I had Mark. Uh, in 2004 in Miami as my quarterback's coach. And somehow Scott Mitch got brought up in conversation. And he said at the time, whenever Scott was gonna, um, was gonna retire, he just had sort of the body type and the personality that he thought he was gonna get big. <laughs> sure, enough, <laughs> sure enough, he did. Uh, he three definitely he was a did. big guy. You know, he sort of had the body, uh, you know, of a, of a, of a tight end that didn't like to work out all that much. You uh, know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, he's definitely a big guy. I've got a couple other, I got two I'd like to bring up this week. One, and I'll go through quick. One, Gus Ferrat. All right. Who is going uh, to join us on the show next week? Have you been informed of this? I, I did not know that. Yes, he's going to come on with us at this time next week. You and I. I mean, it's going to be a journeyman festival. Gus, uh, one, I played with him in Miami uh, in 2005 with Nick Saban. So, you know, I think he and I are like brothers for life because we made it through that. Um, but I mean, <laughs> guy drafted by the Redskins in the seventh round, uh, same year as he's Schuler. He's Schuler, uh, I think, a, a fourth pick of the draft or something. And, and Heath never really plays. And Gus ends up going on. And playing for well for Washington, mm-hmm. but then I mean, Washington for for four or five seasons. Detroit, Denver, Bengals, Vikings, uh, Dolphins, Rams, and then second stint mm-hmm. back to the Vikings in two thousand. Love the second stint. Second stint Gotta went to the Pro it. Bowl. Went to the Pro Bowl in nineteen ninety six. I mean, he fits all the requirements uh, of a of a great journeyman. Had a huge arm, big, strong guy, uh, went to Tulsa. Interesting enough, by the way, as I was looking through this, went to Tulsa, and he was the, the, quarter, the quarterback behind a guy named T.J. Rubley, who was from Davenport, Iowa, and my high school football coach and T.J. Rubley were first cousins. <laughs> so that was sort of very random going oh, through the... the journeyman uh, connections. Yeah, the, the journeyman connections. But another guy I'd like to mention, and this is more on a personal note, is the great Chuck Long. Chuck Long. And I like to mention Chuck Long because Chuck Long was my idol growing up. University of Iowa quarterback, went to the Rose Bowl, uh, went to you know four or, or five great bowl games, did not have a journeyman NFL career. I will say he does not miss the, the criteria. He does have a second stint. Only played Detroit, for three teams yeah. but still had a second stint in Detroit. His numbers were are pretty horrific, like nine touchdowns and twenty some interceptions. But four and seventeen as a starter. So he's not yeah. one of our five hundred guys. Not good. And 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 drafted high, drafted very 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 high. I would just say the twelfth pick of the draft. But he does fit a different type of criteria of a journeyman. He got into coaching, and he coached Iowa's DBs where he went to school. Then he was a quarterbacks coach. Uh, when when uh, and but didn't recruit me and then um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, but it was in Oklahoma uh, when they had like Josh Heupel and then won the national championship uh, became the San Diego State head coach uh, was there for three years as head coach and then Kansas and now as I'm just seeing here looks like the running backs coach for the St Louis Battlehawks which is the <laughs> XFL coming up so yes I mean <laughs> yes he's not journeyman per great. se I for think our he criteria is. but I'm I gonna think, say he is I'm gonna I say he yeah, like if you're a backup quarterback and you only play for like one or two NFL teams, but you play, you coach for like seven NFL teams. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a journeyman day, thing to do. It's a journeyman life, and if you know if you're if you're a, a starting guy, I mean, Russell Wilson's not going to be a journeyman, uh, you know, quarterbacks coach. No. When he's done playing football. He's going to have three hundred million dollars in his pocket. He's not going <laughs> right. to work seventy five hours a week. So uh, the fact that he's been a grinder all of his life, he's grinding on the film, still is. <laughs> I consider Chuck Long 
my uh, and Gus Frat, I guess, but Chuck Long, my uh, special journeyman quarterback of the week. That's amazing, and that is why we do this bit so you can find out about quarterbacks that you never thought twice about, including Chuck Long, who went four and seventeen as an NFL starter. And I do a radio show with Chuck uh, on Monday nights uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, and I think it's over in Iowa City as well. He talks about the Hawkeyes, and I talk about the Cyclones. So for me, it's uh, it's a pretty cool gig to have to be able to talk about my football team, but with a guy that I grew up idolizing uh you know going to the rose bowl and going to bowl games and and you know growing up in eastern iowa is definitely a hawkeye fan very cool very cool sage well you and i will be back to break it all down on monday as always and then as i mentioned on wednesday gus Ferrat will join the show and it will be a journeyman oh, party yeah this is great it's gonna be great we need to hear nick saban's story so uh all right sage well thanks for your time as always and we will talk to you on monday sounds good sage rosenfeld's there our journeyman quarterback correspondent if you didn't notice that is a journeyman quarterback um, from that last segment. We do that every single week. It's one of my favorite bits. Uh, Judd Zelgad will come in next, I think. Yes, next. And then we'll have Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus at 320 here on the show. So uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. Now, the Jaguars had a number of teams that were interested, but they just felt that the price of two first-round draft picks and a fourth-round pick was just too much to pass up. They knew that it wasn't going to get better with Jalen Ramsey, but Jalen Ramsey's back will get better by going to L.A. He goes to L.A. without a new deal, but with all the leverage in the world for a new deal. That deal will come at some point in time because you don't trade two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick for a guy and not give him a new deal. You know, Judd, I uh, have always had a little bit of neck troubles playing backyard football one time with my neighbor. He landed on my head and just has always been an issue since. I was a little kid, one of those injuries. But for some reason, when I go to Los Angeles to visit my wife's parents, my neck is healed suddenly. It's just an amazing thing about that state and that Mm -hmm. city. And I guess that's what's going to happen with Jalen Ramsey. Any injury that you have, a back stiffness, it's a little tough back. Ah, it really hurts. Oh, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm better. I can play every game. Praise the Lord, I'm healed. Yeah, that's right. It's like, anybody ever watch... Um, like late night TV, and there's some guy who's a complete scam artist who comes on and sells you magical water. Sure, you ever seen that guy? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, those are my favorite commercials. Late night TV is fantastic. Yes. It's like that's he just got it from Los Angeles, California. The magical healing water, and now Jalen Ramsey is fine. And anything, any colds, any children being born, any back issues, all totally fine. He's going to play for the Los Angeles Rams. Florida's tough though. Like Florida's tough, tough on the neck, tough on the back. But you go west. The um, the humidity. It's not the heat. Is that what it is? It's the humidity. That's what makes your back stiff. It's uh, tough on you. Anyway, and Doug Marone. Doug Marone would give me a well, lot of ailments how about, as well. How about the combination of Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin? And did you see that Doug Marone kind of threw a jab at Tom Coughlin? Today, where he said nope. something like, I wish I wasn't the only one up here at this podium talking about Ramsey being traded. No. Yeah. yeah, he basically kind of called them cowards. They put out a statement, and that was it, oh. from Tom Coughlin, and didn't say anything else about the he's trade. He's your guy, Matthew. No. He's your no, guy. No, he's not. You covered him. Uh, that does not make him my guy. But here's what is fascinating to me now with this trade. So the Los Angeles Rams have been the 
most bus fire three and three that I can remember for a team that is very talented and has a genius coach and all these things. And they're allowing 50 points to Jameis Winston, who is not good. They're losing games. Their defense is getting lit up. Jared Goff can no longer throw a football more than like three yards. I have no idea what happened with Jared Goff. They're getting eaten alive offensively, too. Their offensive line went from being great two years ago to good last year to just horrendous this year. So they traded for an offensive lineman. They bring in Jalen Ramsey. They must believe wholeheartedly that they can win a Super Bowl this year still, even despite starting 3-3 three and three and showing so many more weaknesses than last year, to trade away essentially all of their draft picks. I mean, they have pushed all their chips to the middle of the table here and basically said, we're going for it entirely by bringing these guys in, by trading for Austin Corbett, trading for Jalen Ramsey, and sending first-round picks because... It, I mean, you don't have first-round picks for five years. Your roster is just going to be in shambles a couple years from now. And especially since Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle, is almost 40 years old and will retire soon. They lost one of their top guards to free agency, Roger Saffold. The other guard is out for the season. And uh, they've had receivers in the past, uh, like Sammy Watkins was there two years ago, and then he now is, is somewhere else. So players leave and get contracts in other places it's kind of amazing how quickly your team can come apart mm-hmm. from being in the Super Bowl to all of a sudden not that great. And I would highly question this move for Jalen Ramsey. As much as I think he is really good, I think you should be only making this move if you feel like the Super Bowl could be in the cards for you this year, yep. which is why the Vikings, I would have said, go for it, because with him... I think you could be the number one defense in the NFL, and I think you can have a shot at the Super Bowl. The Rams, I just don't see that for them. They're going to sign into a long-term contract extension, I assume, and that's a good thing to have a good player for a long time. But aside from that, giving up so many assets when you're not really looking like a legit Super Bowl contender this year mm-hmm. is a little bit on the odd side for me. And the Rams now don't have a first-round pick through 2022, is that correct? Correct, yeah. And I would have... Now, if I was a Vikings, I would have given up the first-round pick. I would have given up the... I would have given up a third-round pick. I would have given up Trey Waynes. I don't know that I would have traded two first-round picks, but... I'm going to tell you why I, I think the Rams did, and you being familiar with that market, I think are going to agree. The Rams realize if they aren't relevant beyond belief, nobody gives a damn. Yeah. Like this Chargers thing is a mess. They need to leave. The Chargers need it's not going to work there. And I don't care. It's a weekly embarrassment. Their now. new stadium, though, is the, the fact that they're going to go into the same stadium that the Rams are in is not going to matter. The Chargers are off the map there. Nobody cares. The Rams, they like. But the Rams, unfortunately for them, know full well that if they are not relevant and good, and by that I mean Super Bowl good, people are going to be like, do you want to go to the Rams game? And they're going to be like, nah, let's go to the beach. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's watch Dodgers um, um, DVRs clips. Let's watch <laughs> Laker DVR clips. So I, I think the problem is the Rams are very much reacting to the fact that they know in that market, if they aren't really good and really trendy, they're done there. Like, people won't go. People won't pay attention and care. But that being said, two first-round picks is a lot. And good for Jacksonville. My question is this now, though. 
who's going to make those first round picks for Jacksonville, and do I trust them? And the answer might be no. Oh well, yeah. I mean, Jacksonville so, needs someone. But it's else. a nice haul. But somebody's got to execute yeah. the picks correctly. They're they're actually Jacksonville's not in that bad of a place. I don't think that Minshew is a real starting quarterback. I think he's one of our journeyman guys. The ten years from now will be like, yeah, Gardner Minshew, great journeyman quarterback, played for sixteen. Do you think he's going to bounce around now? Yeah, I okay. do. I, I don't think he's talented enough to be a franchise quarterback. Foles but, comes back but in your mind. Is, uh, he could be their Gus Farad. Foles, yeah, Foles oh, comes yeah. back and okay. Foles is more of a starting quarterback, even though he's got some journeyman tendencies just, himself. I was just thinking out loud on Ventline today to myself uh, and brought this up casually. You know, in one year, if Kirk Cousins stuff doesn't work out, uh, Nick Foles, that contract can be voided. Would you take a bridge of uh, hmm. Nick Foles? Well, yeah. I mean, if they were going to move on from Cousins or if Cousins' price was $40 million I think a they're going to have to move on. It will be. Correct, which yeah. they're not going to do. Yeah, that's what I think it's going to be. I'm convinced Kirk has... In, Short of a Super Bowl title here, which I'm not forecasting, I think Kirk is done after 2020 here. And I think there will be probably some good options for a bridge quarterback if they don't draft one this year. Um, But just with the Rams, though, your point, I think, is fair about them trying to stay relevant. But they also must believe that they can be a Super Bowl contender this year. It does make them much stronger. And Sage pointed out that Wade Phillips' defense loves man-to-man coverage with corners and Marcus Peters. Never really was good there, not as good as he was in in Kansas City. So this is a huge upgrade for a guy who can legit shut down almost anybody in the NFL in Jalen Ramsey. So that's an upgrade. And their offensive line may have gotten a little better trading for Austin Corbett. I don't know. The fact that he wasn't playing much for Cleveland would concern me, especially the second-round pick who would usually get preference, and they're just trading him, so he's probably not all that good. That's the area where I think the Rams cannot win anything with their current offensive line that their line has gone from amazing outstanding one of the best in the league to one of the worst in the league and jared goff being very cousinsy i mean can he overcome things like that no not really i mean he can't even at least kirk cousins can read his own defense like you're talking about a quarterback who needs his coach to hold his hand right up to the line of scrimmage and tell him That's where to look and what now? to do yeah there was a video Are the other still doing that there, yeah there was a video clip oh. the other day where the TV broadcast zoomed in on Goff, and he was at the line of scrimmage. He wasn't moving his eyes or mouth or anything. He was just staring off into space, and then sort of like nodded his head a little, like, okay, I got it, and then called everything out, and then they ran the play. So clearly McVay is still reading the defense for him, which is just not really a sustainable model for a long period of time unless you have everything great around you. Then you can execute those things. But Gurley is not the same as he was, which cautionary running back tale there. And the offensive line isn't giving Goff all this time in the pocket anymore. He was one of those guys that ran a lot of play action and boots and had the ball for a long time to make throws down the field. But if he doesn't now, and those things are getting blown up, he's just not the same quarterback. Most quarterbacks wouldn't be, but I think he's especially impacted by it. So an improvement on defense where maybe Jalen Ramsey is going to save a handful of catches, and those are important. It's very important to have great corners. I don't think it pushes them up to being an elite team, especially in a division where you got 5-0, and 5-1 and for San Francisco and Seattle. It's going to be really, really hard for them to even make the playoffs. But if you're the Vikings, you're not thrilled Here's with my it, question. though, because no. they're going to be in the race for the wild card spot. My question is this. Why didn't Kansas City do this? I and mean, I know they're banged up, but man, if you put him in that secondary and with that team, 
That makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, because they still have a lot of the same issues they had before. And they also have the offensive line problems as well. And that's why, you know, that game all of a sudden, Kansas City with the Vikings looks a lot more winnable for Minnesota because they can't block anyone now with Kansas City. And this is the regression that we talk about. When a team has a great season, everything goes right. Usually the next year, it doesn't. Even if you have Mahomes, they'll make the playoffs, they'll be good. But it's not going to be quite as good when you have your best season when things go wrong for you, and they've had a lot go wrong. And uh, I do think it's interesting, though, Judd, that we have such a big trade in the middle of the season, and I want to see if there are more of these. In the past, it was like, oh, you can't trade at the deadline because the guy has to come in, he has to learn the defense. It's changed last, what, two years or so? I really think it's very recent. It started to change. Yeah, I think it's very recent. Which is way more fun. Way more fun. Absolutely. And uh, I... With the Vikings and Ramsey, I would have liked to have seen it because he is just a great player. Two first round picks, though. That's the second first round picks a that's lot. A, that's to a hard me. one. That's a hard one. And the reason that you couldn't do that necessarily. See this? Well, this is the philosophical question because what the Rams have done instead of saying, "Ah, you know, we're not that great," so let's just take a step back here. Let's draft somebody good. Let's go into another off season. Let's tweak and retool, and we'll be right back up there. They've said, no, 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 we gotta, we got to go all, all in, and we've got to give up everything to get this guy right now to help us, and then we'll re-sign him to a massive contract, which is always tricky, too. Put you in a tough spot, because then you're paying someone a huge dollar amount. If the Vikings did that, they really would jeopardize their future, because you're looking at Everson Griffin, this might be his last year, I don't know, maybe not, because um, he's been so great, they might re-sign him to another deal, but he's in his 30s. Right. Clearly, Xavier Rhodes has fallen off. I don't know if Trey Waynes is going to resign here. Rhodes is done. Probably not. Rhodes is pretty much he's done here after this year. Harrison Smith is still one of the elite players yep. in the league, but he's also thirty. And when you look down the road, these are players who will ultimately have to be replaced at some point. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings can't afford to give away all their first round picks and not be able to replace many of their key players. The other side of the argument would be: Look, you went all in on Kirk. Why not go all in? And look at your offense recently. Like It's really clicking. And your overall offensive numbers, even despite those two bad games, are pretty excellent. Mm-hmm. You have one of the ten best offenses in the league overall through six games. Mm-hmm. So if you've got your offense clicking, you've got your two wide receivers playing at their highest level, and you've got an incredible running back at his peak of his career right now, this defense is healthy, it's excellent, add that one more player, and you have a legit Super Bowl team, and... I look at every team in the league that's considered a Super Bowl team, aside from the Patriots, pretty beatable. But even the Patriots, not perfect offense. Green Bay is not that good at 5-1. and one. They could easily have two more losses. The conference is strong, but it's not fantastic. Like It doesn't have one or two teams where you say, whoa, you can't beat them. There's nobody it's that strong. you would say it's their year. The West, so. the West is strong. The North is strong. Yeah, But there's not a team where you say, oh boy, impossible. Now, now uh, to go back to... The, the potential trade, if the Vikings had traded for Ramsey, what I said was, your offense should be good. It's not going to be great, I don't think, but it's going to be, it should be, it should be good enough to score some points. If at this point in time you brought in a cornerback that good, you'd basically be, I think you'd guarantee yourself top three scoring defense, don't you? I think so. You, They're already I think you're about really six or seven right now. right now. Yeah. So if you go get a guy like Ramsey, I think you probably move into top three. And now, let's say per game, you have to have Kirk and the offense score 17 points. 
you would 20 be a, points, you'd be in pretty good shape. I think there's a question right now to be asked. Are the Vikings a legit Super Bowl contender? And I can't definitively say my response? a thousand percent no, but I can, I'm I, not there. I can right now because here's the thing. I can't get the Philadelphia game was a nice start, but I need to see so many more weeks of that against really good teams. Yep. Yep. And and here's the, here's the game that, to me, I have circled a thousand times. Monday night at Seattle. Yeah, totally. It's, that's a Kirk choke game. And until I see him go in, in there, even if he loses, it's going to depend on how he looks. So until I see that game and say, okay, there's a change there, mm-hmm. I can't mention. I, I can mention playoffs, but I can't mention Super Bowl. So if they had traded two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, though, I think then they're a Super Bowl. Contender. I think it would put you, because your defense would be so damn good. Yep. But... To your point, can you actually go and sleep well at night knowing that you just traded two first-round picks with a team that could very easily, within the next two years or so, be, be in transition? And we're still not positive about this team right now. You know, keep in mind week two. Keep in mind Chicago. The only thing I'd be able to say would be we gave it our best shot. Mm-hmm. That, that if it didn't work, then you would have been able to point to as a front office and say, look, we put elite players at almost every damn position. And if we came up short because the quarterback melted in a Week 17 game or something, sorry, he was the best option at the time. Yeah. And look at our roster. And I mean, I'm still saying I'm sorry, but you're fired. If you had, I, and I know, but that's the thing. <laughs> if, if my job was on the line yeah. for this year, I'd say let's do it because if I'm going down, I'm going down with nine Pro Bowlers on defense. Yeah, is how I'm going to. do And it. Rhodes is no, he is a shell of the guy that we watched two years ago. I oh, think. Yeah, there's no question. He's just a shell of that player. But now they can use Hughes, and Holton Hill's going to come back, and they're they're in a pretty darn good spot on defense right mm-hmm. now. Um, Absolutely. Judd, thanks for your time. Thank you. Coming up next, Eric Eager. Want to get his take on the Jalen Ramsey trade on Kirk Cousins' big day, and uh, if Cousins is changing the perception of himself with these last two big games, or how patient we should be, or... Does it mean anything? Let's talk with Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus when we return here on Purple Daily. It was helpful to get a rhythm going these last couple of weeks. I think that uh, when the season starts, you're kind of learning what you are and what works well, and you're figuring that out early in the year. And I think it was a good confidence boost the last couple of weeks to have games where we felt like we found a little bit of an identity in addition to our run game, which we saw early in the year. So hopefully we can get that going. But, you know, you start from zero every week, and you got to build it up, and you never know what, what the game's going to call for or what you're going to be able to do well or what they're going to take away. And uh, we have to be able to respond based on um, what we gather early in the game. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins there. Matthew Collar back with you on Purple Daily. Joining us now is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Eric, uh, huge breaking news in the journeyman quarterback community. Brock Osweiler has retired. Your reaction? I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey. you never saw it coming. Just at the ripe young age of 28. Man, I mean. He could have played till 38. What? That's what journeymen do. Well, the problem is, though, with a guy like Brock, the real issue that he came up came about with him was that he got a chance to start. Because I feel like if he would have just played those seven games at Denver, gave way to Manning, won a Super Bowl, went somewhere to be a – he could have a Matt Moore-length career yes. right now, right? Yeah. Uh, and Matt Moore brilliantly has not gotten on the field forever uh, and as such continues to have a job. Chase Daniel as well, uh, I think models of, of that uh, – 
a career choice. I think Osweiler might not be the greatest dude for it either. You know how, like, Sage is the best, Gus Farad is the best, all these journeyman quarterbacks, Sean Mannion, they're just, like, great guys who know their role and are very helpful to the starting quarterback. I'm not sure that was ever Brock's thing, but, like, last year he goes 2-3 and with 7 yards per attempt, 86 quarterback rating. It's, like, the perfect off-the-bench journeyman quarterback type of season and yet can't find a job the next year, which I've got to wonder if it was just he said, if I can't be a starter anywhere, I'm just done. Yeah, I mean, either you have to be that kind of guy or you have to be so cool like Sean Hill smoking cigs outside (laughs) of the the, uh, the complex and pretending you've never watched SportsCenter and just watched uh, Paw Patrol all day. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've tried to get that Sean Hill story confirmed by someone that he uh, was blazing heaters uh, in between film sessions. I haven't been able to do that yet, but Sean Hill is the best. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on from that because that could be a whole podcast in itself, Eric. And talk about what Kirk Cousins did this week. I got an email from someone who said, you better have that Eric guy on this week to eat crow about Cousins. Well, um so- Eric, this is kind of Cousins' career, though, right? I mean, it's great games. It's not great games. It's all over the map for him. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, when you, you will look to handicap the game last week, you said, you know, Philadelphia has a terrific front four. Uh, Minnesota's starting, you know, backup right guard and eventually had to go with their backup left tackle. But, you know, as we talked about early this offseason, when you can't cover, uh, teams can take advantage of you. And, and the Philadelphia Eagles had – you know, you know, you, me, and and Jonathan Harrison at you know cornerback last week, and and it really showed. So, uh, you know, Kirk did a great job, and and frankly, we've always said this: Kirk can really throw the football to receivers when he has a platform. Um, but uh, you know, the question mark becomes: you go into this week, and I think Detroit's defense is not messing around, and you know they've played extremely well against a pretty tough schedule. And, you know, they're going to have to continue to improve offensively if they're going to have some success this week because, we, as you said, Kirk's had success against you know, a lot of teams with bad defenses over the course of his career in Minnesota. It's the question of can he go on the road and beat a good team uh, with a good defense. Well, let's talk about that a little more with Detroit. Because of the referees, they sink all the way to the bottom of the NFC North when they deserve to win the other night, clearly. And the games that I've watched of theirs, I think they deserve to be respected as a team and as a defense and what they have as a roster and the way that they're coaching right now. But something that really stuck out to me, and I ran it by Mike Zimmer today, is they're taking a lot of deep shots down the field. And that's interesting, and I think it really fits their personnel quite well. Marvin Jones, in my mind, is the most underrated receiver in the league. Kenny Galladay could go up and get it. Uh, after a few years of Jim Bob Cooter and throwing short, now they're going deep down the field. I think it's quite a big change that the Vikings will have to face here. Yeah, I think, at least going into the week, Stafford was leading the NFL in average depth of target, and I don't think it would have gone down after the other day. Uh, it is a, a drastic shift in the way that they're operating um, and uh, kudos to Dar- you know Daryl Bevel for coming in and seeing that you know the offense for what it was. They're pretty solid up front offensively, so they can do some of those play action deep drops. Uh, their tight end is very athletic out of Iowa, T.J. Hawkinson, and as you said, they're two wide receivers. I mean, I don't think they're on the on the level of Diggs and Thielen, but I think if you put in Stafford, I think that trio is probably every bit as good as the Vikings trio of Cousins, uh, Thielen, and Diggs. So uh, it's going to be a lot to contend with for Minnesota, uh, you know and 
and they, you know, they made some plays against Green Bay, and Green Bay, as we know, is not a terrible defense. They have some pretty you know, solid talent up front, so it will be a challenge on both sides of the ball for the Vikings. So my biggest question, Eric, is will Detroit fall for the trap? The Vikings set a trap for the Eagles, and my gosh, they just fell right in the hole and gave up 38 points because they kept loading up with linebackers against the Vikings' two tight end sets, falling for the play actions, diving toward the line of scrimmage, not even just biting on play action. Mm -hmm. It was throwing themselves at Delvin Cook and leaving all sorts of space for Thielen and Diggs. Thielen and Diggs don't need another receiver out there to draw attention. Laquan Treadwell wasn't doing that anyway over the last couple of years. Uh, So if it's only those two receivers, they could get open on their own no matter what coverage you're throwing at them. And I feel like the Vikings are going to set this trap each week for teams, and they are going to beat them with play actions and throws down the field if they continue to focus solely on Delvin Cook. Yeah, and, you know, one thing with the Matt Patricia defense, I mean, he has his fault as a, as a head coach, but, you know, he was the guy that set out the blueprint for the Patriots to, uh, you know, shut down the Rams in the Super Bowl, I think, in week, you know, 13 or 14 last year. Uh, he, you know, they stopped going after the Jets sweeps. They stopped, you know, they, they set the edge against the Rams outside run game. Uh, they're really solid in terms of just a schematic defense. And what we saw the other night against Green Bay is they're not necessarily going to rush the passer as effectively as a team like Minnesota. They're going to stay disciplined. They're not going to let the quarterback out of the pocket. And what they're going to do is cover. And, you know, Justin Coleman, their nickel guy, has been probably the best free agent signing in the NFL this year. I think he's one of the top, you know, I've just looked at the, our wins above replacement metric. He's one of the top corners in the NFL in that measure. A smart thing for Minnesota would be to keep him off the field by playing uh, heavier personnel. But the, I, I don't think that Patricia's defense is going to be so undisciplined so as to go after the run game um, because of, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, take everything else away. He's very good at scheming. Um, if you're the Vikings, you got to hope that that extra day that they have off that Detroit has off, doesn't have off, will, will help them. But I think they're, they're in for a fight here, and I, and I don't think Detroit's going to give them any easy yards. I'm looking at Justin Coleman right now in his snap counts, and he's usually playing almost the whole game out there in the slot corner yep. position. And I don't think Patricia is going to take him off the field, even when the Vikings put out Irv Smith. I think that the what's interesting about watching the film here is how well Irv Smith has blocked has sort of made this work for the Vikings. And I didn't expect that. Rookie tight ends usually come in and get steamrolled by NFL players. But having Irv Smith be able to come in and block, come in and run routes, even though he doesn't have great fantasy stats, I think he's a real key domino that this team did not have last year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you look at, so I'm just looking at the Vikings right now, Smith is a top 10 player for them in terms of adding value because of all the things you say, the plays, the balls that are thrown to him in the passing game turn into positive plays. And as you said, he's making, you know, they're the one of the Vikings running game is, is one of the more valuable in the NFL. And, and he's a huge contributor to that. So, you know, good, good on the Vikings. You know, he's right up. He's right there with Brian O'Neill. Like the, the last couple of second round picks that they've had have turned out to be pretty solid players. Uh, let me ask you another thing about this. And then I want to get to Jalen Ramsey. Um, would it be crazy to suggest after just seeing one week that Rashad Hill play over Riley Reef and just continue to play there? Rashad did a fantastic job, and he's a good pass blocker with his length and his size, not a great run blocker. But I just feel like the pass blocking is so much more valuable to this team with uh, Kirk Cousins needing time to throw 
and, and usually taking a lot of time to throw. I was just really impressed with what he did. And with Riley Reef, it seemed like he's continued to fade with some of these injuries as he's gone along as a Minnesota Viking. Right, and I you, you probably I, I haven't listened to the show this week, but you probably you know Alex Boone could probably tell you that there are some players who just block better on a, one side of the ball than the other. I mean, the it, it's sort of like batting left-handed in baseball versus if you're actually naturally right-handed. You know, there are some players that are that are awesome and they can sort of go back and forth, but there are some that struggle. And then the the fact of the matter is, is the you know most teams are right-handed running teams. So if you're playing right tackle, you have to sort of set the point of attack. Um, on on some players who are you know athletically better than you, and to Brian O'Neill's credit, he's a good athlete himself. Yeah. he really sort of does the job really well. But some you know sometimes you know if you just have you know Rashad Hill on the backside of run plays, he can be serviceable. And as you said, his pass blocking will add a lot more value. And if you're Minnesota, you know moving on from Reef and having sort of a cheaper option there would be very good, considering you know all the the investments that they made across the roster. So I don't hate the idea. If Alpine and you know you know the interior players struggle uh, a little bit more going forward here, then Reef might be an option on the inside. Um, but even then, if he's just a backup for now, that's that's probably okay. Uh, I, I support that decision. Yeah, it would be an expensive backup, but at this point, who cares what you're paying for him? You need to win games off. this year, right? Who cares? Um, Jalen Ramsey. I always like the idea of the Vikings trading for him. Two first round picks make me like it a little bit less because that's a really high price tag. But I. I would have actually, Eric, liked the Vikings trading for him more than I like the Rams trading for him. Uh, what did you make of that move? I agree with you. I mean, and, and again, I talked about some costs, and that that's important. But just in the in the way that that roster for the Rams is constructed, they have not had a first-round pick since Jared Goff in 2016 um, because they've traded away for players like Cooks and Goff himself, and then last season they traded back. They're not now not going to have a first round pick for a couple more years. And when you look at that roster, they've done a pretty good job, I think, in terms of trading lower round picks for veteran players, players like Akib Talib and, and Dante Fowler and so on and so forth. But there's going to be a time when that team needs young, good talent. And, you know, even though the Vikings, I think, struggle in this area, they are very, I think, veteran heavy and stuff like that. You know, they do draft the right positions, I think. And, and so they're less of a problem in terms of moving forward and being like, okay, what if Brandon Cook starts to get old? What if Robert Woods is no longer the player you want him to be? Or, you know, we've already seen the Rams offensive line kind of go pear-shaped this year. So, you know, with the Vikings, I think there are fewer of those concerns because they do have some young players, Irv Smith, Mike Hughes. They have, they've done a good job of the draft in recent years, so it's less of an issue. So surrendering two first-round picks would not be a good idea for them, but it'd be better a better idea for them than I think it would have been for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I just don't think that the Rams have an actual legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl this year. They, I mean, they certainly did last year, and they got a lot of help from the referees at the end of that NFC Championship game, which has been mentioned occasionally um, in NFL coverage. But aside from that, when your offensive line goes from being great a couple of years ago to just okay last year to now a mess, and Jared Goff is your quarterback... I think Goff is like a little bit worse version of Kirk sometimes where he needs even more because at least Kirk can read a defense, even more around him to help. And without a good offensive line, when you're trading for somebody else's second-round bust, I just I don't know if he's going to be able to get back to being the guy he was over the last couple of years. Well, and I think for that team, you really have to level set, right? Because you know, uh, former PFFer Zach Robinson's his current QB coach, but he's literally like the fourth guy to be Goff's quarterback coach because all those guys continue to get 
jobs, right? Yeah, Lafleur right. is in is in Green Bay. Uh, Taylor's in Cincinnati. Um, so you know he's had different structures the whole time. And you know when you early on when that offense was hitting the league by storm, the gaps, the edges for him to succeed were so massive, right? And guys are running wide open. Play action works so well, and you squeeze those. I still think still think it's an advantage offense, but. It's not as big of an advantage offense for a guy like Goff, who I agree with you totally on, you know, relative to Cousins. I think he has a noodle compared to Cousins as far as arm strength. Yeah. And, and, and his ability to play under pressure is an outlier, even in a, you know, noisy stat like that. So I agree with you. I think they, they have to sort of, none of this stuff is going to matter unless Jared Goff and Sean McVay can figure out what's going on the last season. And it's been the entire season. Even the games they've won, Goff has not looked particularly good. So, it's tough because we have them with a 7% chance to win the NFC West, which is a tougher division even than the NFC North, which is a hard division in and of itself. So for me, it's kind of head-scratching because I don't even see them getting to the playoffs necessarily this year with having to compete with you know Seattle and San Francisco in their own division as well as you know two or three teams in the NFC North. Yeah, and I'm assuming that they're going to re-sign Jalen Ramsey to a long-term deal, but then that's a lot of money poured into one player, and that's you know part of the value of having those draft picks is you get each one of those first-round picks for four or five years, depending on whether you sign their fifth-year option. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's a lot to invest for a team that cannot win this year. And if you were a team that thought you could win this year, it would have made. A lot more sense. And and I think the Vikings with Jalen Ramsey might be the number one defense in the NFL and would have a, a chance to go win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think the the, the card you know, the the cards have fallen in, in the uh, in the Vikings way as far as like the path, right? So we look at that that November month where they have to play Kansas City, Denver, uh, Seattle and Dallas. I think among those those teams, only Seattle is punching above their weight class right now. The Vikings might have an easier road of it. Than we previously thought. Now losing two games in the division is not great, uh, and if they lose the Sunday, it's probably over for them in terms of winning the division. But you know, things early in the in the season, we said, okay, these are sort of the, this is the easy stretch, and then there's a really tough stretch. But I I, I think the Vikings have a better shot than they did when they started the season. Uh, and if you can add a piece to that and make you know a bet the best defense in the NFL, especially because I think the weakest part of that defense right now is Xavier Rose. Uh, a player that Ramsey would replace almost immediately, uh, it would probably buoy them to the best defense, at least in the division. And then, uh, you know, if Cousins continues to sort of play the way he's played the last couple weeks, they really would be a contender, I think. All right, last thing before I let you go, Eric, Teddy Bridgewater's 4-0 as a starter. Your thoughts? Really? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, saw that. Yeah. I think it came across somewhere. Someone mentioned it to me. That's all. 4-0 starter. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Every single time. I mean, the funniest thing is we the last time we talked, I, I sort of said, okay, you know, he's he's not throwing the ball downfield, and we talked about whether that was an error of omission or commission. And against uh, Tampa Bay, he certainly showed there was an error of omission because when he had to, uh, he was throwing darts uh, against that Tampa Bay defense in a game where you know New Orleans wasn't even favored by that much. And then last week against the tough Jacksonville defense, he was perfect throwing the ball between ten and nineteen yards in the air. So. Uh, while I obviously think that there are plenty of other components to that New Orleans team that, that are helping them win, uh, Teddy is doing a terrific job as he did with Minnesota. So, uh, it's, it's fun to see. And I, you know, if, if people are Vikings fans, 
listening to the show, you really want him to step into Chicago this week and win a football game. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, that one, I think, might be his first loss, though. That that one's going to be tough. I, I don't know what the Chicago offense is going to do, but we've seen what happens at Soldier Field um, to opponents with this defense. That could be tough. But even if he loses that one and then wins at Arizona, then Breeze comes back after their bye week, I mean, if he were to go 5-1 and one as a starter coming in for Drew Brees, that would be uh, extremely impressive for Teddy Bridgewater, especially the fact that he had not really started games since the playoffs of 2016. Yeah, I mean, I think that the last time I think a Super Bowl team, I think New Orleans is the best team in the NFC. I remember in 1999, Neil O'Donnell came off the bench for Steve McNair and went something like 5-1, and one, <laughs> saved that season, and they were a one-yard Kevin Dyson uh, catch away from winning the Super Bowl. So just to kind of wrap this all back to what's really important, which is veteran uh, journeyman. Absolutely. Uh, that, 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 would, that would be what Teddy would be doing here. <laughs> oh, yes. And then there's the, uh, you know, Kerry Collins Titans where they go 13-3 and three or something one year with him. Right. So, yeah, they're, they're a great, for, a sort of an underrated franchise for having some journeymen. Uh, Billy Volek and so forth. All right, anyway. that's Yeah, the newest. Oh, man, he has got a great journeyman future ahead of him, doesn't he? He's going to play for at least 11 teams, I think. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that's that's going to be a great one. All right, Eric, thanks for your time. As always, appreciate it, man. Take care. That's uh, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. He does the PFF Forecast podcast. It's really great. Him and George Shahuri, I listen to it every week. So make sure you check that out wherever you get your podcasts and follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up the show. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up at 4 here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. We'll use this download to remind you something we have on our podcast feed right now. It's been 10 years since we all went on a ride with Brett Favre and we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Viking season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind, the 2009 Vikings edition on demand right now anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or you can just go to scorenorth.com and click on shows. That's Minnesota Sports Rewind. That's been your Score North download. Now back. To Purple Daily. With those receivers, they can get down the field. Hawkinson's added another dimension to them as well. And, uh, you know, I think they're doing a nice job with their play actions. Um, so I'll give you a little stat, since you like the stats. He's number one in the league yeah. in throwing attempted, contested passes. There you go. Yeah. Sometime. Love the analytics. I did tell Mike Zimmer he loves analytics today. And, you know, I mean, he's giving me stats, throwing them at it. We were just we were just throwing stats at each other. I got one for you, Mike. You got one for me. Having a great time. They beat the Eagles. Zimmer is, like, flying high for this week. Pun absolutely intended. And uh, we'll see how that goes this week when they play the Detroit Lions. Now, um, Roger Goodell exists, everyone. He does exist. He's still around. I have not heard from Roger Goodell in a very long time about anything. And if especially it's a significant controversy, this man is in the Alps. Like, he is nowhere <laughs> to be found whatsoever. Referees, though, he will discuss. And tanking, he will discuss. And he did so at the uh, owners' meetings. So Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelsera on NFL Network broke down what Roger Goodell had to say about the refs. Roger Goodell came out and basically said what everyone else had been inferring, which is that this rule where 
pass interference penalties, offensive and defensive, can be reviewed and changed. Uh, this is what they wanted. And he even noted something that it has been pretty clear, which is that coaches have been testing the, the boundaries of this rule, challenging things maybe they may not later in the season. It does seem like the hope, the goal from the league office, is to figure this out on the field, only alter things that are egregious, and basically have this as a backstop rather than something where they go in and change subjective calls. That certainly was interesting. Okay, so wasn't that the goal from the very beginning? <laughs> thought so. I thought so. I thought that when Nikel Roby Coleman ran into that guy who should have caught it, uh, that was egregious. It was obvious. Every person with even one good eye, like the Vikings head coach, could have seen what happened there, right? <laughs> that there was pass interference, and that should be the standard. If... Even one-eyed people can tell that it was interference. Then it's interference, and they should throw a flag and challenge it, and it should be changed. And yet, there were times, and the same goes for non-interference, and yet there were times over these last couple of weeks that were extremely, ridiculously, over-the-top, obvious, either a call or not a call. The worst one that I saw was with the T.Y. Hilton offensive pass interference, where he put his hands in the air to not touch a guy like i'm not touching him i'm not doing anything and they still flagged him and they threw the challenge flag frank Reich threw the challenge flag they still didn't overturn it and it was at that moment that the nfl clearly decided we're just putting this on hold for now because we have no damn clue what we're doing they had the entire offseason to figure it out and they couldn't and now goodell is saying well we're gonna get it we're gonna get it okay i have the utmost confidence in this man to get this right the, the standard should be very easy. It should be a you-know-it-when-you-see-it type of common sense. Okay, right. that was clearly pass interference. That wasn't, as uh, Alex Boone described the other day, it wasn't hand-fighting or anything like that. It wasn't one guy pushing, another guy pushing. The one with Detroit that they didn't challenge, and I don't blame them for not challenging it because it wouldn't have been overturned, where the Packers player throws his arm into the Detroit receiver's chest way before the ball gets there. That would be one where you say, yep, that was pass interference. It was that easy. We overturned it, and we all moved on with our lives. I can't believe this has been this hard. But at least Raj says, we are now looking at it. Since they had to have, it's like none of these things can change unless there's a huge controversy. They always wait until the worst thing happened on national TV or in the playoffs. Then it's like, okay, I guess we'll address this. Not over the last few weeks where it's been obvious this is a problem. Now, he talked about something else that I think is very interesting and could be on the horizon as well uh, during his press conference. Roger Goodell noting what, what Art Rooney had also said to us just a couple minutes before, which is that 17 games were on the table as far as CBA talks go. Roger Goodell basically saying season would start at the same time, move back a week, uh, and kind of proceed from there. Also did not rule out expanding rosters. 17 games. You like it, Jonathan? I don't understand why you would want... I mean, I get it from a monetary reason, but other than that, competitive reason, it doesn't do anything for me. So I've never wanted 18. I always felt like it was too much. 16 is the perfect schedule. Mm -hmm. It might be the only league in sports that has the perfect schedule. Oh, for sure. When they were talking about in baseball, the Colorado Rockies playing playoff games where it might snow, and I guess we would have had that same problem here. Twins... You know, if you did the thing you where you the, put a roof on it, bandwagon, and didn't score seven runs in your playoff games. Anyway, um, 
But I've always thought baseball, too, just too long. I yeah. mean, when you're going into snow season in a lot of markets, that's too long. And basketball, 82 games. My gosh, it's just too many. Hockey. How about when hockey comes out of the uh, break at, during Christmas and then all of a sudden it's good hockey again? You're like, oh, that's because the players aren't exhausted from travel and lack of rest and injuries and everything else. They could play 60 games and I'd be fine with it. The NFL has entirely had it right. 18 always felt too long. 17, though, it does kind of make me go, mm, would it be that bad if they just moved it from 16 to 17? Would Pro- you Probably not. If you did do 17, would you give them another buy or would you just go with the one buy? That's the hard part because the 18-game season only made sense to me if it was going to be two bye yep. weeks because teams would just be uh, annihilated by the end in terms of injuries and things like that with two more games. That's a lot. But if it's... Only 17, and they eliminate a preseason game. Yes. Uh, uh, now you're talking, because this year, I don't know why it was this year, I felt more rage over the fourth preseason game <laughs> and the third preseason game being called all-important by everyone and everything else like that. I, I It was such a drudgery with a team that had almost every single position filled, very few battles going on, right. to get to the end of that, and almost insulting to fans that you're making them pay any money to see preseason football. So if you were going to eliminate one of those, say we've only got three preseason games now, and of course coaches would go, but what about my less special teamer? I mean, imagine Corey Vedvik might have made the team if they didn't have that oh, fourth goodness. preseason game. Oh, goodness. <laughs> don't bring that torture into our lives. Uh, but uh, if the, I don't hate 17. Okay. I, I kind of hated 18. I don't hate 17. That might be interesting. Um, the Packers signed Ryan Grant, by the way. I'm just going to end the show right there with more great NFL news. He did visit the Vikings, though. He he came for a workout with the Vikings, and he's now going to sign with the Packers. They have no receivers left, but they're 5-1. and one. All right. Tomorrow, Alex Boone, and guess what? We have Carson Palmer on tomorrow. I'm excited. Yeah. Carson Palmer, fun. 220 tomorrow, will be on the show with myself and Alex Boone. That's going to be awesome. So we'll talk to you then. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton. Motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.